the Four Horsemen. What you have here is the Four Horsemen, united, live, and exciting color. Um, not those Four Horsemen. These Four Horsemen discuss theology from different viewpoints, different perspectives, as we show people how to have discussions without turning into a keyboard warrior. Are you stupid? Now, here's Dennis Thurman, Adam Black, Benjamin Kerfman, and Derek McCarson, the Four Horsemen. Welcome to this episode of The Four Horsemen, which will be very quick so that Dennis can go worship his idols. Oh, snap. So... (laughs) I am, I am, which is like some kind of sports, sports ball. What is it? Basketball? (laughs) Sports. Quit, quit (laughs) it. What is it? We need to ask Ben. That wasn't exactly a slam dunk. Rugby. (laughs) Oh, that was a good one. Rugby. Slam dunk. Soccer. Um, It's what what you do with a donut at Starbucks. (laughs) They don't have donuts. That's Dunkin' Donuts. A scone. Probably. Yeah, well, yeah. We've got oh, we've got uh, scones yes. and egg bites. Lemon cake is phenomenal. Croissant. Um, Cake pops. They're pretty good. They are pretty good. Yeah. Uh, we're discussing something that Tom Askell considers to be more serious uh, in his article at Founders.org. So, for those who are not familiar with uh, Founders Ministries, Founders is an independent group um, of basically resources for. Um, reformed churches within the Southern Baptist Convention. And so they have books and different things like that. They're usually in a dark back corner of the Southern Baptist Convention where you have to go find them um, because only the elect can find their booth, apparently. Um, But uh, Tom Askell is uh, kind of uh, one of the founders of Founders. And uh, he wrote an article recently, which was, uh, somewhat controversial. If you've been watching the news at all, you're aware that uh, the Houston Chronicle came out with a, a massive study on the Southern Baptist Convention that exposed um, 700 uh, victims of sexual abuse by Southern Baptist leaders, whether that's pastors or denominational leaders. And um, it was pretty, uh, pretty devastating uh, in a lot of ways. It's obviously a horrible thing to think about. But in light of that, Tom Askell wrote this article, which uh, some people criticize for maybe being in bad taste or bad timing or maybe taking advantage of, of the seriousness of it. But regardless, I felt like um, he does make some good points, and I, so I thought it would be interesting for us to talk about. So um, I'm just going to read a little quote from here. Um, the article is called uh, Southern Baptist uh, Sexual Abuse and a Far More Serious Problem. So... Uh, He says here, an honest examination of Southern Baptist churches reveals a much deeper problem than even sexual abuse. The real problem is spiritual before it is moral. That is, Southern Baptists have a problem with God. They trumpet their affirmation of the inerrancy of Scripture and unhesitatingly call it the written word of God. Yet at the same time, the overwhelming majority of their churches blatantly defy the God of that word. And so... um, He said uh, that, uh, that it is the kind of defiance of God that is found in most of the key positions in the SBC today. By key positions, I do not mean denominational posts, though the same could be said of many who fill them as well, but local church pastorates. How else can we explain the loud trumpeting of Southern Baptist commitment to inerrancy while at the same time blatantly refusing to do what the inerrant scriptures say to do? So what is he saying the scriptures say to do that Southern Baptist pastors are not doing? The specific examples he gives are regenerate church membership, which for those listening means the people that are basically your church role looks like the roll up yonder as much as you can make it. Um, 
church discipline, which is if somebody does not act like they're on the roll up yonder, then you're doing something about that. Um, and then spiritual abuse, which is uh, pastors basically uh, taking advantage or manipulating church members, uh, not just sexually, but even emotionally and even using their spiritual authority in a way that is, is unbecoming of, uh, of a shepherd of a local church. So in short, Tom Askell is saying here that the deeper and bigger problem, even more than sex abuse, is basically um, Southern Baptist churches that are not doing what the Bible says with regards to their membership and with regards to their pastoring, and that the, the sexual abuse is just kind of a, a consequence or an outpouring of, a symptom of poor ecclesiology. Yeah. So um, let's see. Dennis, let's start with you because you have been – how long have you been a Southern Baptist? I have been for 45 years. Okay, so in the last 45 years, there's been a lot of transition in the yes. Southern Baptist uh, Convention. So when you were in your earlier years, the Southern Baptist Convention was largely a pretty liberal denomination it at was. that point. And then you got to see the conservative resurgence and this huge movement within the SBC towards inerrancy, which is what he's referring to in this article of saying, we as Southern Baptists are now committed that the Bible is 100% truthful. There's no mixture of error in it, um, and that it contains everything that we need for life and godliness. And so that has kind of been the the uh, clarion call, so to speak, of Southern Baptists for the last generation is inerrancy. Now, Tom Askell saying there's a difference between inerrancy and sufficiency. So what have you kind of observed during your time as a Southern Baptist, and do you feel like what he's saying has any merit, or do you think that maybe he's just going too far with it? No, I will absolutely say that I agree with what he wrote. In fact, I read it when it first came out and posted it, and I will tell you I did get pushback uh, because some people felt like uh, he was not uh, dealing with this great moral crisis of, of sex ab abuse and was kind of uh, diverting uh, from that which I don't see it, it that way because, again, you know, everything's theological. If you're going to respect the image of God in another human being, then you have to know the true God. It all, it all flows from that. The sanctity of life goes back to the, the life giver. And in the same way, the ways that we know that sexual abuse is wrong and sinful is not because there's this great movement in society that is saying this this is bad to take advantage of people, but we know what Scripture says, so we have that truth. But knowing it, doing it, are two entirely different things, and so I think that's what he's he's getting at. And when you have a church that's filled with lost people uh, and people who maybe are saved but are not being discipled and certainly not disciplined, then there is this environment, uh, kind of like a stagnant pond uh, that would become infested with all kinds of bad bacteria and things uh, unhealthy. And I think that's what we're seeing in churches today. So, so yes, we may a preacher may thump a Bible and say it's the Holy Bible and it's, it's God's Word and inerrant, but then when it comes to actually applying what's inside of it, uh, you know, that's where there's issues. 
So, uh, Derek, do you think that the problems that he mentioned specifically, like regenerate church membership and church discipline, do you think that those are really as big of an issue in Southern Baptist churches as he's making it, or is that just kind of a church here and there? Would you say that that's a general problem with Southern Baptist churches? I would say not only the Southern Baptist churches, but probably every church. Um, I go back to a statement that uh, Johnny Tiller who was a longtime Southern Baptist pastor, he said that the greatest mission field in the world sits every Sunday on the pews of a Baptist church. And that's coming from a guy who preached the gospel for probably 50 years, maybe more. And um, personally in my ministry, I can definitely see that. Um, There's a huge disconnect in people's lives between coming to church and hearing the word of God and then dealing with some of the situations that they bring to you behind closed doors that's going on in their life or the sin that comes up or the divorce or whatever. Again, we're all susceptible to sin and we do fall and uh, we give in temptation, but you know, you would expect redeemed people, uh, saved people to um, not be so captive to the world and to the temptations of the that, that we so easily fall to. Um, I'll give you a perfect example. A few years ago, uh, we were in a what seemed to be a pretty standard uh, Sunday morning, got to the end of the service, gave an invitation. I was getting ready to close it down, and out of the back I see some movement, and here comes one of the oldest people in the church. And um, we affectionately just call her Granny in the church because that's just kind of the term that she's gotten. But, uh, you know, 80 plus year old lady comes hobbling down the, um, middle of the aisle and she comes to me. And by the time she gets to me, tears are streaming down her face. And I, I call her by her real name, not granny. But I said, you know, why have you come down today? And she said, I've been playing a game. Mm-hmm. I said, what do you mean? She said, I've been in church my whole life. And I've been playing a game and I know I've been playing a game. Mm. And today I've heard the gospel and I want to be saved. Mm. Now I can't take any credit for that. That's obviously the gospel, the gospel's Mm -hmm. power and the Holy spirit moving, but it just speaks to exactly what we were talking about. Here's a lady who sat on the church pews her whole life. Now in her eighties coming down the last few years of her life, knows she was lost and yet spurned the conviction of, the Holy Spirit time and time and time again hardened her heart and yet finally came to the point where she admitted with the sand running out of the hourglass, hey, I'm lost and I've been playing a game. Mm -hmm. So if she had the courage to do that, then that tells me that there's definitely more in the congregation who are in that same situation. I'm sure each of us could tell stories of, of people that have been in our church Maybe they've been deacons. Maybe they've been Sunday school teachers. That'd be a mute director. I got to baptize uh, one of those. Yeah. I've I, I've actually had um, deacons who served for years and years say, um, I need to be baptized. I, I think I'm saved, but I, I'm not sure. And I, I need to be, I, I've never been baptized. You know, so things like that, that we assume, oh yeah, they're, they're, they're saved and you know, they're, they're right with the Lord. They're being obedient. You can't assume it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
So Adam, uh, why why do you think this is such a big problem? Like how how do we get here? Because I mean, if you look a hundred years ago, there's a very different picture in Southern Baptist churches. I mean, uh, the the way the churches were set up were different. Um, the seriousness that they took with membership was different. I mean, I, I you know I met a guy uh, at the state convention um, this last year who pa- pastors a, a really old historic. Uh, Southern Baptist Church, and so he loves going back and reading the minutes and stuff from all their old meetings and seeing what it was about. And I mean, they did not play around uh, with sin in the church. And and he, he even shared a story where there was a guy that didn't show up to church one week, and and they went out to visit him, and and uh, he said, you know, well, my goats got out. You know, there's my fence got tore down, and my goats got out, so I had to get my goats. And they said, okay, well, you know, we hope we we'll see you in church next week, and. They said the next week after that, uh, he didn't show up again. So they went over to the house and he said, yeah, I'm having problems with my goats. And so uh, that following week, the church members showed up, built him a new fence and said, we expect you to see, see you in church on Sunday morning. And they had it all recorded in their church minutes. But I mean, it was just uh, there was accountability and there was expectations there. And that's the way that it used to be 100 years ago. So, what, Adam, what do you think happened? How do we get to this point where churches are just filled with lost people? Well, I think I think one of the big things is from back in the day, I can only imagine, but everybody, it was a community church. Everybody knew everybody. Everybody knew within. So you couldn't, I couldn't go to the church across town, you know, because it was localized. So I'd have I'd have to believe that that had something to do with it. Um, and that's why you could probably hold people more accountable uh, was because you knew where they lived and you knew their family, you knew every, you know, you knew they needed go. They, you know, they, mm-hmm. they could fix the whole thing. So I think, I think that's a big thing. I think the uh, kind of the, uh, I, I wrote it down, but kind of the uh, crusade type, uh, movements, if you will, I think that might have had an impact on it because some of the things I've read in the in the past dealing with other things is the numbers game. You know, the numbers game. How many people were attending, and you know, if you didn't say you had so many people in attendance, and so I don't know when that shift happened, but I have to believe that some of the the crusade type stuff um, helped helped facilitate that. Um, and I also think that you know membership. Uh, from a standpoint, I know <laughs> I, I dealt with it this week in in that um, membership started becoming ownership um, in the sense that this is my church, uh, this is my country club, this is my people, um, that is my organ, my name's on the wall on that plaque because that's my <laughs> organ. Um, and I think that had something to do with it. I know our church just went through, we we didn't purge, but we kind of redid our membership and renewed it. And we had 300 and some 360 people on our roll and we we're averaging 50 to 60. Um, and once we started looking at it, there was 50 people that um, had 40 to 50 that had died that were still on our membership. Well, that's a problem because nobody knew, nobody, nobody knew to take them off. Once we started digging, then they, they realized it. So again, I think the church was more of an event as opposed to a family. And I have to believe that, that the, uh, I, I don't know what you would call it. The mobility is probably, that's probably a big reason why I, I, I would think 
that, you know, that occurred. Yeah. And, and following up on that, I think, uh, the, the absolute biblical doctrine of the believers priesthood, but that should be looked as believers plural. And, and what we've taken it is we've emphasized the priesthood of the believer, which is true. I have the right to come to God on my own, but you know, there's that community, that context of being in a, in a family where there's accountability. Yes, I can have that relationship with God and must on a personal level, but it's always done in the context of, of community. And so that rugged individualism that uh, we buy into, uh, that, uh, autonomy personally, uh, we can magnify that to the extent that we, become irresponsible. And I think that's been what we've seen. It's, it's always a temptation. It's kind of like your, your yard. Uh, if you let it go, it goes back to the jungle. You have to stay on top of that thing to keep it looking good. You don't have to do anything for it to look bad. You just let it go. And so in the same way, we have not uh, cultivated, weeded, done what we need to do within the church. We've just gotten busy with doing stuff. And next thing you know, you got a jungle. Yeah. And I, and I think to tie in with what you were saying about priesthood of believer, I think that's really important. And I think what that's kind of evolved to in the modern, in the modern um, Southern Baptist convention is um, kind of a, a, an upside down view of authority. And I think that that breeds a whole lot of problems. So for instance, um, as Baptist and and uh, Congregationalists, we think that the members need to have authority in the church as far as the, the direction of the church and things like that, and, and uh, for accountability purposes. And so uh, we are uh, individual autonomous churches, and so um, th- that's just a very distinct thing of the local congregation, the local body of believers makes decisions for the church. At the same time, that is the congregation as a whole making decisions, not individuals within the congregation making decisions. A lot of people don't understand that. So if you go into any Baptist church meeting, there's like, you can have a hundred people in the room. There's about three people that are going to be calling the shots in that room. And none of them are going to be the pastor and everybody knows it. And so they think that they are speaking for the entire congregation and uh, voting is kind of when that, that comes to happen. But the problem is, is that um, the authority that God has placed in the church is the pastor's. That, that that is God has said, I am appointing these men, these are elders, these are overseers, they're bishops, they are shepherds for this congregation. And that when he's leaving, he is all authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. Therefore, you go. So he's bestowing authority onto the apostles at that, that point. Then what do the apostles do? The apostles, like Paul, go out and plant churches, right? And he has uh, guys like Titus, who he's saying, I'm giving you authority that I was given from Christ over this local congregation, and I'm commanding you to appoint elders in every church. And then the authority goes down from there. Now, does that mean that the pastor should be the dictator in the church? No, because we see clear examples in Scripture where the the members, the body, is doing things like uh, selecting deacons and appointing officers and doing those kind of things. And so historically, the understanding has been um, if my pastor wants to do something in in the church, I'm appointing men that I believe are qualified, and then I'm letting them do their job because they're the caretaker of my soul. They're, they're, whatever they're doing is for my good. 
if I can't trust them enough to do some make decisions for my good, then I can't trust them enough to be a pastor to begin with. So I'm going to put them into that position of authority and then get out of the way and let them do their job. The problem is, is over the last hundred years, that's come top down. I think a lot of that is the removal of plurality, because when you have a plurality of elders making decisions, it's a whole lot harder for those two or three people in the congregation that are probably lost making carnal decisions to rise up against a group of men who were saying, listen, through prayer and study, we have come to a consensus that this is good for the members of this church. It's harder to come against that than it is that one pastor where we live in a society now where every two years, you know, the guy tries to, you know, change a light bulb and will vote in no confidence. He's leading this church in the wrong direction. Bye. You're gone. And so it's really hard to practice church discipline or practice regenerate church membership when the first time you confront anybody about their sin in the church, you're gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and, and, and again, so, so Dennis, you've been pastoring uh, longer than anybody in here. What would you say to that guy? Cause I think like Derek mentioned, there's a lot of young guys, especially Listen, if you're listening to this and you're a Fruitland student or you're a seminary student or something, there's a 99% chance that you're going into a church that needs revitalization and has unregenerate membership because that's most Southern Baptist churches. And like Derek said, it's most churches, to be honest. It's not a, it's not really even a denominational thing. But if you think that you're going to, you know, you're these zealous guys in Bible college, I'm going to go to a church with 350 people and they're going to be able to pay me full time and they're just going to let me go in there and preach and do whatever I say. You are sorely mistaken because there's just not a lot of churches out there like that. So when that guy goes in there and he's in his first couple of years and he realizes, hey, all the shot callers in here don't have any evidence of actually being saved. And I don't have any real authority to do anything about it. What What would you say to these guys? What do they need to do? You just preach the gospel and trust God to bring about salvation. Um, you never have a time. I don't care what book you're preaching through. I don't care, you know, what uh, the, the situation may be. If it's a men's meeting or whatever, you share the gospel. If you're teaching a class, you preach the gospel, and and little by little, as people become genuinely converted. We believe I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. So if if we have that conviction, then that's where the real change happens. And so it's not going to be probably an overnight thing. It's going to be continuing to sow the seed, to cultivate the soil. And and it may be a situation like where Paul said, I planted and Apollos watered. Mm-hmm. We may not even see the benefits ourselves immediately our ministry might conclude and God moves us on somewhere else. And then somebody comes behind us and, and, and is able to see the harvest. But as long as we're faithful and doing what we need to do, that's what we're going to answer to God for. We can't control the others. But I think sometimes we try to make things happen. Uh, we try to almost bully our way in and, and compel people to do the right thing. That's never going to work. But then the flip side of that is other guys back down and cower and just, you know, give in and, and, and yield the authority that God gave to them. And that's not right either. So you've, you've got to be faithful to what God's called you to do, but then trust the results to him. And so, Derek, uh, you know, you're still a younger pastor, but you've had a pretty long tenure. You've been there 10 years, right? Right. And so that's a, a lot longer tenure than a lot of guys our age um, in churches. 
And um, so, you know, you've, you're kind of established there now and in doing that. And I know, uh, you know, like any church, you know, there's still challenges. There's always going to be challenges, no matter how healthy your church is. Uh, because just like Dennis said, it's like the jungle growing up. It's if, if you're not constantly, I mean, that's why God appoints uh, overseers, right? Is because somebody needs to oversee that thing because he's going to come back one day and he wants it to be in good shape. And if it was going to be in good shape without pastors, he wouldn't have put them in there, you know. So we know that's part of the case. But uh, what what would you say to those guys who are maybe you know they're just going they're just going in, you know they're getting out of Bible college and all that, and and they get in there and realize, oh wow, this thing is a mess. Um, from your experience of being in a church ten years now and seeing a lot of a change happen, what what would you say to those guys? Um, or maybe what's some practical things that they can do, you know, if they go in their guns blazing and kick the doors in talking about half of y'all are going to hell and you need to get out, that's mm-hmm. going to be their last Sunday. Mm-hmm. But what are some things that they can do to get, to at least get started in the right direction? Well, I would say from my personal experience, one of the greatest things that helped me to keep the faith in the battle and to not lose focus was to surround myself with two or three guys that I could trust um, in the church who were mature and who had my interest in mind as well as the interests of the church. And we just got together and, and do nothing but pray and just pray together uh, for each other and pray for the health of the church and pray that God would just root out those people who don't need to be there or those people who are need to have their heart changed or those people that are just lost. And really you can begin to see God move through a, a, a group of committed prayer warriors. And I would say that is definitely the first place to start. Mm-hmm. If you're a young Absolutely. guy, find out who those uh, on your are going to be on your team, uh, who, who believe in you, who buy in with you. And generally, every pastor can find two or three that are, are on, on their side and just commit that thing to prayer. You can get a whole lot more accomplished on your knees than you can in a deacon's meeting or, or, or trying to bully your way through or, or force some change upon the church that they're not ready for. Uh, and you'd be surprised what God does with your heart as well in that prayer time. So I would say um, that number one is the biggest thing. And then number two is uh, you have to be patient. Um, You know, you go in all guns blazing, like you said, and you're just going to, as I heard one guy say, I'm going to preach the hell out of them. (laughs) That does not work, okay? That never works. Um, If you want to have long-term ministry, if you want to have effective ministry, you got to be willing to get in it for the long haul. Um, and stay with it and, f- and love the people, even when you don't see results, mm-hmm. um, you know, lay out your vision, uh, and be patient and, and let God open those doors and do those changes that you can't do. Um, but most important, you know, with that is, like I said, this love them, preach the gospel to them, be patient with them. And by all means, get those people, those uh, teammates together and pray, pray, pray. I think that's a really good word. And definitely I I would agree with that too. Um, One of the things that's been most helpful to me in my ministry is finding those, those few people that, 
um, that you can really rely on. And and prayer does it. Prayer unifies the church. Oh yeah, it does. I mean, you you can get people that hate your guts, but if you can get praying together, the, the Lord does a lot of work um, through prayer. Yeah, I'll just tell you one brief story. Um, you know, in in, in our ministry, uh, early on, I began to notice who uh, certain pockets of resistance, and I realized that. Um, the church really was not going to go anywhere uh, as long as certain parties were there. And, um, you know, we started getting together and praying, first off, just a core group, and then opened it up to the whole church. And what I found out was that uh, the people who were uh, stirring the pot, and the people who were always the thorn in the side and the problem, they didn't want to show up and pray. They didn't want to be a part of the prayer meeting. So really, the the core group of the church got together and we prayed and we worshipped and we 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 cried and we fellowshiped, and really that group began to grow and surpass. Mm-hmm. And the other people that didn't want to be a part of that, that were the troublemakers, they ended up you know moving elsewhere. So I'd say that you really find out uh, to use the expression you know the sheep and the goats and the wheat and the tares. You you find out the difference and one way that that you can do that is through prayer. Mm-hmm. So as we, as we wrap up, all four of us here at the table are in different stages of ministry. Um, our churches are in different locations, different demographics. And so we've got kind of a representation of, you know, I guess Western North Carolina here. Um, so I want us to go around and just share in our context where we're at in, uh, in ministry, how are we uh, in our churches or as pastors trying to, um, help our church in the areas of regenerate church membership and um, church discipline specifically. So, uh, Adam, I know you guys just uh, did some pretty big stuff with your membership in recent months. So um, tell us uh, at Westwood, what are you guys doing to really try to make your membership healthy over there? Well, we're making membership count. Um, and so basically what we've done is um, our our members renewed their membership with a church covenant, a covenant, a membership covenant stating uh, the, where they can be counted on. And it lists out nothing crazy, but just, you know, biblical things. And so, and I, and I preached and taught and <laughs> talked and on and on and on about be serious about this, you know? And I even said one time in the pulpit, I said, if you're already trying to find loopholes in this, <laughs> don't sign it. You know, it's okay not to be a, it's okay. You can still be here. You know, it's okay. And so that's, we made that, um, a big deal, um, that, that membership meant something as far as the church discipline standpoint. I always think that gets a bad rap. Um, I think for example, church discipline, our church, our small church as small as us, um, you know, we're 50, 60 people right now. If somebody's missing for a couple of weeks, we call them and it's not, that's not a discipline thing or we reach out to them. It's, Hey, we miss you. You're part of this family. We love you. Um, and so we're doing things of that nature. Um, we've confronted, I've confronted a little, little things, nothing major, which had some pretty good results to it. Um, but we're really trying to tie membership into meaning something and and that, that, that the person can be counted on to help us fulfill the mission of the church. And if, if the person signs it and isn't helping us, um, well then, then we'll, we'll talk about it in a loving way and, um, hopefully they'll, they'll press on, but, um, but they signed knowing the expectations and I made that clear for two months of, of kind of what we were doing. And so that's what we're doing. 
Yeah, I think that's uh, really important that uh, when people join that they really understand, you know, the the kind of classic thing, which I think is one of the things that got us into the shape that we're in is, you know, even the church I grew up in, you come down front during, during the invitation, you sign a card or you pray with the preacher and they turn you around and they vote you in right there. And I mean, you could be the devil's stepson and, and there's be no a member in that church and show up at the next meeting and want to cause a fuss. And I've seen that happen in churches. And so I agree. I think having a, a higher standard of this is what we expect of you and this is what you can expect of us. It does help kind of screen a little bit of, you know, are, are you really, re- are you really ready to be committed to this thing? Cause like you said, it's, if somebody doesn't want to join, if they don't want that accountability or whatever, then that's fine. Because as a pastor at the end of the day, you're, you're responsible for the people that are in that covenant community. And if somebody's just on the fringes or whatever, it's obviously we, we don't want anybody to go to hell. We don't want anybody to fall away. But you can't be every person's pastor, so you just have to be the pastor of the people that that have made those kind of commitments. And the person that's not committed isn't on mission with you, so they technically don't want to have a voice in what's going on. Right. And so that's another <laughs> that's another thing that we've told our folks that you know, being a part of this, you'll have a voice, and you're going to serve on these teams, and that's where your voice can be heard. So yeah. yeah. So Dennis, uh, what about you? I mean, you've you've been at uh, Paul Creek for a long time, so I'm sure you guys have been through all different kinds of seasons and changes um, over the years. So where you guys are at right now, what does something like regenerate church membership and church discipline look like for you? Well, what we have moved to do right now, uh, myself and our executive pastor and uh, our chairman of deacons and another and our vice chairman, and those two guys are some of the most respected leaders in the church solid been here a long time we've been basically going through and rewriting our constitution and bylaws and so we're going to begin to roll that out and share it and and here's the thing pole creek's a wonderful church i've been blessed to be here but you know in every church you you have the stated values and then you have the real (laughs) values and, and our stated values would line up with Scripture that, yes, we believe in regenerate membership, and, yes, we believe that uh, sinning members need to be confronted because the Bible says so, and we believe the Bible. But, you know, the underlying values that are real are we like to get along. We, we, we love Jesus, and we love people, but, and we don't want a, a mess. And, and so sometimes when you come to those hard decisions, uh, it's been difficult at times to make those. And some of the uh, the fundamental thing, like confronting a leader about some problem in their life, you know, has created a bit of a hubbub just, uh, you know, at, at that, which ought to be a, really kind of a no-brainer. But I, but I understand it and, uh, and all, but, you know, we have to be careful even how we present this again to just come back to scripture do you believe the bible like you say will you follow it will you implement these changes uh in our church culture so that we can have a regenerate membership and for a long time we've bought in and i mean i say we because i'm including myself former pastors good men solid men but but kind of that whole mindset of you know, we'll get the people in, and then we'll we'll try to get them straightened out. You know, and uh, and so the front gate has often been wide open, and it's like old Vance Havner once said uh, that Baptists are many, but not much. 
<laughs> he said the easiest thing to get into is the Baptist church and the hardest thing to get out of. And and I'm I'm afraid, you know, I'm just going to confess that that's oftentimes been the case with us. So we're trying to put a a system in place to where there's actually procedure. Too many times the way we've disciplined people is they do something bad, we kind of shun them <laughs> and hope and pray that they'll leave and go and join uh, Liberty or Westwood. <laughs> Gee, thanks. Well, and in and, and, and light of what Tom Askell was saying, that was part of the issues with this sex abuse scandal is there are currently pastors in Southern Baptist churches at this exposed that are registered sex offenders, and uh, the church didn't check it out, or they were, you know, you got guys that were accused at their two previous churches, but it was never proven, and they didn't let the other church know, mm-hmm. and so this guy now has, you know, years and years of abuse, uh, that has gone unchecked or, or unheld accountable. There are situations I know, even in our area, where I know for a fact there were guys that uh, were caught doing something sexually inappropriate and were put out of their churches, and it all got swept under the rug. So now they're pastoring somewhere or doing something else, and nobody wants to talk about it. Nobody wants to do anything. And the problem is, is that's a church discipline issue too, because church discipline doesn't just apply to members; it applies to pastors. And if you disqualify yourself, then for the good of the body of Christ, that other church needs to know that. And, and you know, that's a hard thing because— and we don't share that like pe- we People should. don't want to share that. But the reality is, is if that guy has fallen, uh, those members have a right to know, hey, th- this man has disqualified himself. And a lot of people will say, you know, well, who, who are you to judge? I'm not one to judge. This, the Scripture is the judge. God has already judged Exactly. God has already judged him and, and found him unworthy, and, and you need to recognize that. And so before you look at the resume or before you look at the skills in the pulpit, you need to look at the, the biblical qualifications. Um, and if, if a man's unqualified, then, you know, you need to stop there. Now that's assuming that the membership is spiritually mature enough, you know, to do something like that. And unfortunately, in a lot of cases, it may not be that way. Um, Derek, what about you guys? What what is uh what is some things that you guys are doing there at Liberty to kind of help protect that membership piece? Yeah, so one of the first things that I did when I uh, became pastor was help the church develop a um, membership covenant. And so, of course, we encourage people who visit and uh, who attend the church to sign the covenant if they want to. It's all like what Adam put forth in his uh, that make the, makes the membership count. But, uh, of course, uh, along with that, there's a doctrinal statement. Uh, there's also a code of conduct. And there's also a part where um, accountability is is taken into effect. And so um, what I do is anybody that uh, comes forward to me or comes up during the service that says we want to join, um, you know, we recognize them. But then I'm going to follow up with them personally and uh, around the dinner table or around the coffee table at their house or wherever. And uh, we're going to walk through the membership covenant and uh, – and we usually do that, and then I give them a, a, some time to pray and think about it and say, hey, this is a serious thing. Are you sure you want to get into this and and give them the opportunity to pray through it? And so that's kind of the way that we uh, do our screening, if you want to say that, for, for members. And then church discipline, um, I've had good experiences with church discipline, and I've had some bad ones. <laughs> um, if you practice it, that's usually how it goes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I hate to throw, you know, there's no one size fits all for every occasion. Of course, Matthew 18, we're always going to refer to that. But I would say that, you know, um, 
you always want to go into a church discipline situation with some people that are going to be there with you. Uh, don't do it alone as a pastor. You know, go with some trusted people. Um, when you know that a situation comes up, do not wait. Do not drag mm-hmm. your feet because it just goes further and further along. It gets worse and worse. You, uh, my experience is you need to confront it pretty soon, um, especially if it's somebody in the church who has a teaching position or a leadership position. Um, you really have to go after that. And uh, like I said, you're going to have some situations that are going to get ugly and that person's going to call you names and say things that aren't true. And they're going to get mad at you and end up leaving. Wretch is going wretch. Hey, that's <laughs> that. If, if you come to them and, and loving way, show them, Hey, here's where you're in error. Here's where you're in sin. Now we want to give you a chance to repent and they don't want to repent. Well, then what does that show you? You have an unregenerate member, most likely. Mm-hmm. Um, now, on the other end of that, I've I've had situations where we've gone through church discipline, and man, there was repentance and and there was um, forgiveness, and we were able to move on. And you hope for those, but you're not going to get it 100 percent of the time. So I would say to you know guys out there thinking about church discipline, or maybe you've got a situation right now. Look, that's where you become a real pastor. That's where you become a real leader. When you have to get in somebody's grill and confront something uncomfortable, that's when you earn your stripes. And people see you for <laughs> as the real uh, authority. Adam's over here whipping, like, you know, yeah. being whipped on the back. <laughs> but uh, I didn't mean it that way, but of course well, it could well, be taken I, that way. I can say in my limited experience, too, that's very much the truth. Yeah. Most of the growth that I've had as a pastor and a leader has been through those situations. Yeah. And we've seen both in our church, too. I mean, we've seen uh, some God do some beautiful work in people's lives of, of people that we've had to confront about things that um, really grew in Christ and, and are, are doing great. And we've had some really painful experiences too. And, and I do think when you practice it, that's, that's the way that it goes, you know, and, and sometimes it's surprising, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes the, when you uncover that sin, it's like pulling a, a thread on a sweater, you know, you, you don't think it's that bad. And then the more that you look at it, the whole thing comes unraveled. And like you said, you, you may reveal you know, wow, this, there's no indication that this person mm-hmm. is in Christ at the end of this thing. And that can be really heartbreaking. Yeah. That's part of um, being a shepherd. You know, sometimes it the, is. the shepherd has to go in a hole and dig them out. I think it, I think it was hard work. I think it was Calvin, if I recall correctly, that said, you know, that the pastor has to have two voices, one for the sheep and one for the wolves, you know, and that's true, you know, and in those church discipline situations, and that can matter too. You know, sometimes a person is in sin because they've been deceived. And they don't they don't need uh, the wolf voice. You know what I mean? They they need that compassionate voice of, listen, you've fallen, but we're here to help you, and, and we want to love you uh, back into right fellowship with Christ, and we're here to support you. And then there's that other time where it's like, um, listen, uh, this is not your church. This is God's church, mm-hmm. and He told me He told me to keep things like this out of here. And if this is going to keep up, you know, sometimes you have to have that stern voice. Um, in in our church, we're, we're fortunate that we, at this point, have kind of a, a, a procedure for membership and discipline, and also kind of culturally that's become an accepted thing in our church. It wasn't always that way, um, but it's not unusual now, you know, a few times a year for us to have conversations about um, 
you know, there's a situation that we have to let the members know about of, you know, somebody who has left or is leaving or, um, uh, somebody that we've, uh, confronted about something, you know, and that would be in the case of where they weren't repentant. You know, usually when we go to people, you know, we've had people come to us and just confess and just say, Hey, uh, I did this and I know it's wrong and I'm, I'm submitting myself to whatever kind of consequences I need to have. And, and praise God in some of those cases, uh, there's been restoration there and it's actually been a good thing. And, and that's what you want to see. You know, the expectation is not that members never sin. Uh, it's that, uh, God, that we're repenting, you know, and, and that goes for all of us. And so, yeah, we definitely, we definitely have to, to, um, have the hard conversations and the good conversations, but I, I totally agree with what you said, Derek, that that to me, that really has been what has made me a pastor. Mm-hmm. It's one thing to teach the Bible. It's another thing uh, to, to teach it face to face with somebody who doesn't like what it says and, and being honest with him about it, or to um, be, be, be broken yourself over that person's sin mm-hmm. and, and what has happened and, and being able to, to deal with that. But to me, that is what really kind of makes or breaks it. And unfortunately, I think there's a lot of guys that never get to that point. Um, that they may have a very long ministry, but that ministry in large part has been kind of coddling sin in the church as opposed to, to really exposing it and dealing with it. Um, I would say as far as advice to any guys who are listening, you know, the biggest thing, I think prayer is a big thing. We've seen prayer work a lot in membership situations where there's been several times where we've taken it to the Lord in prayer and he's worked it out. Uh, and, and we didn't even have to do anything. He changed the person's heart or they moved on or, or, or whatever. But um, there's been many times where we've never had to confront anybody because the Lord just dealt with it. And, and I'm thankful for that. But another thing I think, too, is is having a solid biblical basis for whatever you're confronting them about. You know, you, you're, you don't want to confront somebody on, on your preferences or or what you think is right or wrong, but it's got to be on Scripture. Mm-hmm. And, and we use a membership covenant, too, that's biblically based. And so if we have to confront somebody, it's on the grounds of we clearly explained to you when you came into membership that this was the expectation. You have... Uh, you have willingly submitted yourself to the authority of the scripture and the mm-hmm. authority of this church. And now you are, are acting against that authority. And here's, you know, anytime that we've had to discipline somebody, there's a specific charge of here's what the scripture says you should have done. And you did not do that. And we're accusing you of disobeying the word of God that you have promised to keep. Um, and, and on that basis, if it comes to bringing it to the church, then the church just has to make a simple decision. Will we do what the word of God says, even when it's hard or will we not? And if you've been preaching well and you've been discipling people, then the church is going to be strong enough to endure that kind of difficult decision. Um, but if your church is largely unregenerate, it probably won't. They're probably going to go with what feels good over what is good. Um, but I, but I would, I would say, you know, don't ever bring an accusation against somebody unless you've got a solid biblical foundation to say, listen, this is not me saying this. This is the word of God has judged you um, and you need and you need to repent. Um, And uh, as pastors, we don't have any inherent authority uh, separate from from the word that we've been given. And so we're under that authority just as much as the, the membership is. So uh, we would encourage uh, we would encourage you, um, whether you're Southern Baptist or not, whether you're a pastor or not, to consider these things um, that are very serious. They're a very serious problem. Um, and if you're a church member, you need to take that membership seriously and be involved in your church and, and go to those meetings. 
You know, a lot of people uh, don't ever go and they don't have any influence. It, it might seem boring or, or, uh, or uh, things that you're not interested in, but the business of the church is important. And as a member, you need to be a part of that. And uh, pastor, you need to stand on the word of God and you need to confront sin and trust God with the results more than a paycheck. If you got dead people on the roll, then you need to do something about that. Amen. Uh, pastor, God says that you're accountable for everyone on your roll and you need to make sure that you're not going to uh, find out that there's people in hell that you were responsible for. <laughs> and so it's a, a membership role seems like a silly piece of paper here, but the, the implications are a lot more serious than that. You can continue the conversation online by visiting us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the number four horsemen. Don't forget to tell your friends and enemies about the podcast and be sure to subscribe and review. They look at me funny when I talk like I got a speech impediment. Homie, check my passport. Heaven, I'm a resident. Like a conscious rapper, but do more than master the president. I see brothers coughing, so I hit them with the medicine. On the other side, they say their grass is greener. Seen the forecast, man, they calling for Katrina.